Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Garden Culture Podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you today. We've got another solo show because I want to talk about a concept that I think is super important as we head into fall. And that is the ROI, meaning the return on investment in terms of what you grow. So most of us don't have unlimited space, time, or money, although some of us maybe do. And for, for you all, um, hot damn, I love that for you. But for the rest of us, um, we've got to be somewhat preferential when it comes to what we plant, how we plant it, the timing, the cost, all of that. So there are many things to consider. And I want to share with you the way I evaluate the return on investment with the garden, what I will not grow because of it. And then what I do grow, even though it might not make the most sense because I love it so much. So I want to expand a little bit on this ROI piece. So the first one obviously is time. And when I first started gardening, and I think this is something to really take note of, is I started with seedlings and transplants as opposed to seeds. Because one, seeds really intimidated me and I didn't understand the timing of it all, the care and the space of it. And I thought that was a really great lesson to learn. Like you are very much still a gardener if you're using seedlings, AKA transplants, meaning you're buying everything from the nursery that's been started by someone else and you just put it in the ground. Like that is a great entry point for anyone who wants to just get started and not feel overwhelmed by all the details. So time being, I think one of the first barriers is like, you just don't want to waste time and money. So a fast way to get started, like I said, is to skip the whole seed starting situation and all those supplies and everything and just go straight into like buy the seedlings and plant them in the garden and let's boogie. Now, as I do start my own seeds and I'm a little more advanced in my gardening, I evaluate my time differently. Um, And what I'm really looking at, these things are all intertwined, really time, space, and money, um, is how much time my veggies are in their beds. So, and that has to do with space as well, right? Is how, how much space do I have and how is the space being utilized? But I've learned how to manage my time in terms of seed starting and transplanting and getting into a flow. However, there are still things that I don't start from seed because it takes too long or the fail rate, germination rate is too sketchy for me. So these are things like pansies, violas, coneflower. They're like hard to germinate seeds, which actually talk about in my gardening membership this month. It's one of our lessons. But if those things self-sow, my violas and pansies actually self-sow a ton, which has been like the loveliest surprise. When you're trying to start them in trays, just be tricky. So I skip that and I buy transplants. Okay, real quick. I want to tell you about the Kitchen Garden Society. It's my monthly gardening club for all levels of gardener and in all U.S. hardiness zones. 
We're helping gardeners everywhere save time, maximize your yield, and build your true instincts. Each month in the Kitchen Garden Society, you get a to-do list of what to be harvesting, sowing, and transplanting, as well as what you should tend and task to. You get seasonal recipes and deep dive timely lessons to accompany the skills you're going to need in the garden this time of year. We hear from experts each month and get daily inspiration for seasonal living, as well as the opportunity to share and ask questions in our members-only Facebook group. I hope you'll visit us at thekitchengardensociety.com and check it out. Some things that just absolutely I never will buy as transplants are a lot of those root root veggies and crops, you know, like carrots, um, beans don't like to be transplanted, things that don't like their roots to be messed with or already are a root, like a beet. You just got to bite the bullet and start those and sow them directly. So um, that's kind of the time component. Space, I touched on a little bit. How long is something going to be in your space, but also how much space does a crop take up? I'm notorious for squeezing things in together too closely um, or just pushing the boundary on that. But some plants, you know, do require more space. We're talking about cauliflower, broccoli, squash, zucchini, even tomatoes sometimes. They do command a certain amount of respect when it comes to space. And so we have to take that into consideration. I'll touch a little bit more on that because there are some things that take up a lot of space that I will still plant. (laughs) Um, But also when it comes to space and time, things like garlic that require nine full months in a bed, you've really got to think about where am I placing that? Who am I placing that next to? I want to make sure my garlic is in a bed that's not going to be touched. I can adjust the water for those last few weeks. I can turn the water off. I don't put it in with something that's a heavy feeder. I don't want to put it in with something that's going to compete for nutrients like beans. So you're just thinking about all of those things when it comes to space. And then cost, like I kind of touched on, um, this is twofold. One is, you know, how much do the plants versus the seeds cost? It's always going to be cheaper to start something from seed if you know it's going to be successful. But um, how much does it cost to buy this crop from the grocery store, your local farm, a CSA, however you do it, what's the cost comparison there? So a big big crop that I do not grow myself are strawberries. They take up too much space. They stay in their beds for a long time. Like I can grow them as perennials. Um, but I, I, it takes too long for those plants to get established. They'll get attacked by, um, like a looper type caterpillar. Birds will get after them. My kids love to munch on them. We went through a whole phase where my kids would just eat all the white strawberries. And it was like, frustrating because you want them to experience the red strawberries, but then if they're eating the strawberries in general, it's kind of like whatever. So anyways, strawberries are just not for us right now. We don't have enough space to just leave them in there. And then it's just sort of a kind of shot in the dark on how we're going to get them. It is more expensive to buy them at a local farm. Like it can be quite a cost, but they're so delicious and we eat so much of them that I don't really care. Um, I am getting to the point where strawberries from the grocery store at all are typically just not well ripened. They're not ripe enough from a taste perspective. Like it's just such a cringe to have a bitter strawberry when you've had a homegrown or farm grown strawberry in its proper season. Um, and I've seen a ton of friends who can their strawberries in a really lovely way, like whole strawberries. So that's something to look into, but this is going to push us into the next category of what I will not grow. 
So thinking about ROI, like I said, the return on your investment of time, space, or money is always something to consider. And the next solo show here on the podcast is going to be about my philosophy, poker planting that I've started talking about. I have a blog about it, but I want to like chat through it with you guys and it'll be sort of like a part two of this. Um, Okay. So what I won't grow, we already talked about strawberries. Um, The next thing that I won't grow is asparagus. Anything that's going to pop up out of the ground and stay like with a crown in the ground for multiple seasons is such a space taker upper. So we don't do asparagus because it's just one little guy comes up and like you wait so long and they're incredible, but like, I don't have the space for that. The next thing is celery. Celery takes a ton of water and I live in zone 10 B, which is basically a desert. So it's just not practical for us. And I've just not had good experience with it. So this will be a tester crop for me at some point someday, but for now it's just taking up so much water. However, anything that does take up a lot of water, I want you to think about where the water that's watering the crop that you buy comes from. Okay. So this is why we don't love the grocery store and glyphosate chemicals, blah, blah, blah. So if you can get celery locally at a minimum organically, do that, right? Cause it's so full of water, meaning it's taking up water. If it's from a city system with tons of yucky chemicals, or if it's from sort of a mono monoculturally cropped farm, then, you know, yucky stuff in there too. Okay. So the next crop that I definitely don't grow because of space and I just haven't had good success are berries, specifically blueberries. Um, Blackberries and raspberries similarly need a lot of space and they actually prefer sandier soil. Um, And I'm just don't have any beds I can dedicate to amending the soil and then having structures for them to climb. And then, you know, they're annual in terms of how they produce, blah, blah, blah. So um, blueberries, those are bushy and the birds get them. And I just, I don't know, I just haven't mastered the art of the blueberry, blackberry, raspberry, but those are like huge goals um, for us moving forward. So we don't grow those. We buy those locally when they're in season. Another, those are another crop that is just like a blackberry that's not ripe that you get from the grocery store. I mean, why even waste your breath, you know? Um, okay. So the last item that I'm pretty picky about when it comes to not growing, it's sort of devastating are things that uh, require chill hours. So like apples. I've really wanted to grow some espaliered apple trees or this variety of apple tree called a stepover. And they're like these really short little dwarf apple trees that you can espalier and make like a little pathway out of or have be in the edge of your bed. It's like a very British, fabulous French thing to do. But we don't really get enough chill hours in my hardiness zone to grow apples. And I'm pushing it with a few varieties of stone fruit like peaches and plums, nectarines that I'm trying to grow and they're doing well, um, but they have to be a very specific variety with a low chill hour. So I'm not really going to roll the dice on any trees that need cold weather because those are a big investment. They take up time, they take up space, they're expensive, and it's just like so devastating if it doesn't work out. And really the weather is something I know we do not get a frost. I mean, we just don't. So we can't push it on that. So 
those are examples of things that I will not grow. And it's nice to sort of take the pressure off of that entire situation. And then we can just focus on the things that we will grow. So on that note, the three things that I definitely grow every year, even though it doesn't always totally make sense, are starting with my absolute favorite orange and purple cauliflower. I need to get the variety name. It's cheddar cauliflower for the orange ones. And then the purple ones, I can't remember if it's violet cauliflower or just purple headed cauliflower, but they do take up a lot of space and some time. They're brassicas. You need to really start them at a specific time because you want the seeds to germinate with some heat, right? But you don't want them to bolt because the cauliflower head is the flower. You really just need them timed right when it comes, but they like the cooler weather, you know? So they're a tricky crop, but it is so rewarding. First of all, they are stunningly gorgeous. You can't really find these at the store. Second, they taste creamy, buttery, delicious, like nothing you've ever experienced. We roast them. I puree them. We rice them. The kids love them. They're just a non-negotiable. They're so stunning and they're like one of my favorite things to grow. So they do take up space and time, um, but we love them. So that's fine. And as I'm talking this through, I'm even realizing that of the three time, space and money, I'm usually willing to compromise on one. If something hits all three, like takes a lot of time, takes a lot of space, it's expensive, or there's a high fail rate, like then it's, that's kind of how I decide like meh not to grow, but if there are two elements and maybe one redeemer, then I'll think twice. So I'm, I'm processing that as I talk about it with you. Um, also if you hear some little sweet little coos, I've got my five month old with me today while I record and he is just being a snuggle. So if you hear any of that, that's that. Okay. Next up pumpkins. So I am not pumpkin obsessed. I feel like pumpkin is one of those crops where like you are obsessed or you're not and I'm not, but my kids are. And I do like, while I love a pumpkin patch moment, I think it'll also be super magical to have pumpkins, pumpkin patch style at our house. So we've used up an entire bed this year. I was influenced by my godmother to do that for the kids. They are very excited. They're absolutely humongous. Um, And I think that while they do take up a lot of space and they're in there for quite a bit of time, it will be really fun to have our own, you know, our own homegrown pumpkins. (laughs) I'm literally burping a baby on the podcast, which is probably like such a no-no. I'm so sorry, you guys, but you all know me. Uh, I'm a mom first, so we got to do these things. Okay. So um, the pumpkins are something that we're growing, even though it's really not like the most logical thing. And I honestly don't know how many years we'll do it. It's just a fun novelty for now. Lastly, um, I grow saffron crocus every year. They are corms that stay in the ground and then pop up with this stunning purple flower and these red stamen that you save for the saffron. It's a real specialty item. They take a lot of time, um, but they're not taking up too much space. Um, You can only harvest them at a specific time as well. Like they're just a finicky plant. And I mean, to be honest, I don't cook with saffron that much, but I think they're so beautiful when they pop up and I just really enjoy having them. Most of the time they actually bloom, I feel like in the 
fall for me. So they're just a fun element to have in the garden, but they don't make a ton of sense. It's just something that I like. So we can always make room. If the return on your investment is just joy, then it's worth it, right? Right. Okay. So I want to walk you guys through that. I hope this is helpful in helping you plan your garden. And really, I know as a gardener, it can be hard to make cuts. And that's usually where this comes into play. It's like, okay, this year I'm actually not going to do cucumelons. They don't do that well. They need a trellis. Like, it's okay. I know it can be heartbreaking, but sometimes we have to make those calls. Hopefully this episode helps you do that. I hope you guys have an incredible day and I will see you next week. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.